All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 33. By the way, uh, even though it's fair, uh, a little bit after the prayer and fasting time now, uh, if you still need a Bible reading calendar to help you in your daily study uh, that will take you through the Bible in a year, I have those. It, this is what they look like right here. I'll lay this one down on the stage area here if anyone wants it, but I do have more in my office. Um, these are very helpful uh, if you really want to read your Bible through, typically all people always start with the left and go to the right because that's how we read books, and then you hit Leviticus, and then you die, okay? <laughs> and so this will help you because even though you're in Leviticus, you will also be in probably Psalms and Proverbs and, and other minor prophets, and then you'll also be reading New Testament too, so it's a very well-balanced meal. You're not just getting protein, you're not just getting carbs, you're getting the fat. So you're getting a full plate. When you read this, it takes about 10 to 15 minutes a day, give or, give or take. Uh, but this will help you go through. It's chronological. So if you start, you'll just, by the time a year goes, you'll have read through the Bible, the whole thing. And it really helps as opposed to just going from Old Testament to New Testament because sometimes reading in the Old Testament can get a little dry. Uh, so you need some New Testament to liven it up, right? Okay, so I'm going to just lay this here. If you want any more, though, just let me know. They're in my office. Get my thing messed up here. I don't usually... So, first of all, I'm a lousy administrator. You just... It's just a fact. You know, I do... I, do, I, can, I can help myself, but I, I don't know how to really help much, many other people. I delegate well. I do that. And so I think that's how the Lord is, has, he's been gracious to me in being a pastor of a church because um, there are qualified people around me that God puts a highlighter on and says, ask them to help. <laughs> and he does, and, and they do graciously. But uh, I have uh, um, a hard time sometimes just, I don't plan out long things, and so especially when it comes to preaching, my my method for it is very different than, it's not unique, it's just I really try to sense where the Lord wants us to be at, and then I, and then I dive in there, and so we have this unexpected small series of messages going on joy, and uh, this is number three, <laughs> all right, I thought I was done last week until uh, we were in prayer, and then Rich mentioned a verse that Mary Jane's always mentioning in John sixteen thirty three, and I'm like, wow, and this is wrong, because it's lousy administrator. Uh, but um, John sixteen thirty three says this, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And when I heard that verse, I was sitting right here, I thought, man, that's the next one. That's just kind of how you know, it's a preacher thing. It's just kind of how you know. It's just how you know. And, uh, and so as I've been thinking about this through the week, it, it coincides with everything that we've been talking about so far about the fight that we have to have for joy. Uh, and we should be a joyful people. And of course, we talk, we talk about how does that practically look and how does that practically work out. And I've, I've, I've tried to make it clear that I am not insinuating in any way that we should be oblivious to, this, to the difficulties around us or the stresses and strains of life, and just be giddy, and like nothing is existing. Uh, I mentioned last week that to try to live 
as though none of these things exist is like trying to be a Buddhist because that's what they do. They deny reality trying to find nirvana. And then they get a big old dose of reality when they crack over to the other side and they see what's been there the whole time. So what we have, though, is Jesus in the midst of our struggles. We have Jesus in the midst of our, of our stresses. We have Jesus in the midst of our concerns. Um, I, and I, again, I think about J- uh, Jesus in the garden when he was praying. I mean, here is the King of glory, the one who gives us his joy, right? In me, your joy may be full. I've said all these things, remember John 15, 11, that in me your joy may be full. And uh, he's, he's in agony. So some of would say, well, did Jesus possess joy at that point? And I would say, yeah, he, he had joy. Because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Did it manifest as what we might think of joy in the 21st century of American life? No, but we're a pretty shallow bunch. Okay, I mean, as as one writer I was reading, and lately it seems like I've been reading more than I've ever read in my life, and I've got two other big books I have to start soon, and uh, this isn't for school, kind of is, kind of not, but uh, just the things that we no longer can conceptualize because of the shallowness of our culture. Um, Travis has talked many times about how we don't have a concept of suffering. We, we don't understand what the old timers just embraced many times and they had no choice and so they dealt with that. Uh, we always think, well, they had so many kids back then. It's because most of them died. Okay? And they really did. Now they needed them for, for work and all, but they had a lot, a lot of kids die. They knew pain. They knew agony. We think we can overcome everything. We're so arrogant with we think in our technology. And so when Jesus, the King of glory, is saying to us in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 that he wants our joy to be full because he's our joy, we're talking about a person, not a concept. And that's the, that's the difference that you have to get in your soul. Joy, a person not a concept. Uh, just for the sake of a definition, I just kind of wrote down, joy is not a set of desired circumstances or realized conditions, nor is joy the absence of conflict or pain. Rather, joy is singularly and intrinsically a person because joy is Jesus. And if you really want to go one step beyond that, you could say joy is the very presence of God. Okay, in your life. But you will take that joy through difficulty. Um, if you should lose a husband or a wife or a child, uh, and, and someone should come up to you and say, you should count it all joy, don't deck them. Okay, just... <laughs> but try to understand what the Scripture is saying. You have God in this. You have joy in this because you have Jesus in this. And I was just... As I was thinking about how this was going to go today, um, I was thinking, isn't it interesting that the very thing that Jesus pointed us to in John chapter 15 last week when he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. These things are all these things that he's spoken, which I'll get to here in a second. But he's talking about his words. Now in Genesis chapter 1, what does it say? In the beginning... 
God. And then it went on and it said, and God said, let there be. And God said, and God said, and God said. So these, these words, in fact, I think we could get into what we call the rhema, okay? These words created what we see here. And God said. We have the very words of Jesus. Now, stands to reason that Jesus, when He speaks, His words have power, Okay? Jesus is our Lord and our God. When we read our Bibles, it isn't so much, I mean it is, but the primary objective there isn't so you can become smarter. At first when you start, you think, I want to become a smarter Bible person, okay? I remember Kathy, she's, I pay attention to you today, Kathy, over there in the class. She said, well, I'm not a Bible scholar, I'm a Bible studier. And I was thinking... We're all just Bible studiers. Even the best scholars know they're just a student. Because that's all we are. We're learners. But what we are is we're purveyors of a very real relationship with our maker, our creator. So then when we, when we feast upon the word through reading it, we're ingesting the life of God inside of us. I'm not talking about salvifically because that's given in justification through Christ alone. I'm talking about as a believer in Jesus, we are nourished from the vine. How's that happen? Well, we eat it. (laughs) We drink it in. What is it? These things that Jesus said. Those things that are the life-giving of the Word of God. So... Try not to see your Bible as just paper and ink. Try to see it as, as the lifeblood, the, the, the very real presence of what the pneumos, Theo, says to us. Okay, that that God breathes into us when we read the Scripture. And it doesn't matter how you feel. Okay? It matters what He says. So, Joy, then, is not some kind of uh, subjective emotional experience you're looking for. That's not what the biblical view of joy is. Joy is a, a person. Jesus just didn't live. He's alive. Okay? So, the things that Jesus said matter when it comes to joy, but it also matters when it comes to peace. Now, how many of you want peace? I do. I think the older you get, the wiser you get because you realize you cannot fight the world. Okay? And you get tired of trying. That's why a lot of the old men get Velcro shoes when they get old. They get tired of... I just know it's because they get tired of struggling with the laces. The fingers are like, no, not today. And the back says, are you kidding? So, you know, and then finally it's slippers. Point is, you want peace. You're looking for some solace. Well, joy is inextricably linked to peace. Peace. Jesus says, I give to you, not as the world gives. My peace. Everything goes back in the Christian life to the peace of Jesus. This is, Rich, I'm going to talk about a revelation a little bit here, okay? So, 
I, I admire everybody that God has so touched to dive deeply into the book of the Revelation. It's, it's the book that promises a blessing to those who study it. And inevitably, if you're in the class long enough, you'll hear every teacher say, there's a lot written on this. We're not quite sure what this means, but here's what the Scripture is saying. And I think you should study that because it's in there and the Bible tells us to. But wouldn't it be really nice if we all developed and prayed for a voracious appetite for holiness and the peace of God in our lives? To walk with God. Enoch walked with God and he was not. And then when you're reading that as a young kid, you're like, not what? Right, right? Not more, please. Because <laughs> there's a period. And Enoch walked with God and he was not found anywhere else because God took him. Why did God take him? Because in the oven of life, he was finished early, I guess. And, and God took him on to glory. And man, I can't wait to go there. Because there's peace. In this world you'll have tribulation. But in me, Jesus said, you'll have peace. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that you may have peace. That's at the end of our verse today. That you, he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But last week we read, these things I have spoken to you that you may have joy. So joy and peace are together. They're a link together. It's like, uh, well, apples and oranges, because they're both good fruit, I guess. Husband and wife, um, brother or sister, they just go together, you know. Well, so like uh, uh, bacon and garlic go together. <laughs> so that's, all, that's, that's good, right? Some cream cheese? Okay. <laughs> Here's what I got to noticing, though. From John chapter 14 to John chapter 16, we have five occasions where Jesus had this statement. He said, these things. Because if you look in John 16, it says, these things I have spoken to you. And I thought, wow, there it is again, these things. The first time that happens is in John 14, 25. These things I have spoken to you while being, notice, present with you. Now, this is small. This is more for me than it is for you. But... These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. These things. What things? All the things that he said. He is the logos of God. The word of God. And so it's only appropriate that he said these things. I've spoken to you while I am present with you. So the disciples are like, okay, because they're slow, coming along, you know. John 15, 11, again, these things I have spoken to you, what? That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. What things? All the words that Jesus said, everything. John 16, 1, these things I have spoken to you that you should be made that you should not be made to stumble. Well, there's one. So now, not only am I supposed to take stock in what Jesus said because he's with me presently, and he is. He's present with me right now, and you. And, and this is the omnipresence of God in his, not only in the world, but specifically in his, in his children. And then he says these things are there for your joy and that it should remain. 
And then he says that you should not be made to stumble because of these things. The emphasis being on these things. What things? The very words of Jesus. Do you see a theme here? You've got to embrace and, and love and, and, and consume the Word of God in your life. You, Christian, if you're here and you admit to being a lazy saint, okay, just want, just maybe you're young and you're just like, I'm just so busy because there's lots of things to do. Well, you know, you will never grow until you read the Word of God of God you can just count on it you will not grow you will not grow in godliness we always think of godliness oh the man is so stiff he does not sin that is not the picture of godliness everyone talks about the Puritans you have a button you sir are going to hell that's not how they were at all. They were the most joyous people you would have ever met. And it was because they, they nourished themselves on the Scripture and believed what it said and understood that joy is remaining in Christ and that's the walk of holiness. That's right. They celebrated everything. That you won't be made to stumble. In John 16, 25, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language, now Jesus says, but the time is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. It's another statement when Jesus says, I have spoken this so you'll know stuff. John 16, 33, again, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Now where did it say the peace was found? It's in him. Now notice, it does not say that if you'll just know your Bible from Genesis to Maps, you'll have peace. It says in him. And if you read your Bible with the motivation of knowing him, you will know his peace. So therefore, when unfortunate trials happen to you, there will be an anchor in the storm that holds your soul steady. People will be wondering, why aren't you wigging out? And the only thing you can say is, He holds me fast. He who calms the winds and the waves is speaking directly to me. Because I've read what he said. And these things he has spoken. Now that's a love relationship that satisfies. So, these things, Jesus says, I have spoken to you. Reminds me of a hymn, How Firm a Foundation. You know, this was J. Vernon McGee's uh, opening tune whenever he would have his walk through the Bible radio broadcast. But I, I thought I'd read it to you because of one line here. He goes, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. Why? Because these things He has spoken. 
What more can he say than to you he has said? Because these things he has spoken. To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled, you can get nothing more. He is everything in, in, to infinity. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Because these things he has spoken. You say, why, you should have called the the sermon these things he has spoken. But there's joy in those things. And the fight is that while I'm going through this thing called life, the flesh, who's present with me always, is seeking to have a voice to rise up, to inject. We get things like rude behavior from that. We get dissensions from the flesh. We get confused or fearsome. We get all these things from the flesh. Seeking to satiate a desire to be in charge. What we get from the Spirit is surrender through humility with which garners peace that surpasses all understanding. And where does all this come from? The presence of the Lord. And where is all this presence of the Lord informed to me from? The Word of God. I have as a, as, a, as a steady preoccupation now, praise God finally, to just know Him more. To understand that to live a holy life is to just be in the arms of Jesus every moment. To be found without offense. To be that bucket that God can use for anything He wants to haul around. That's godliness. That's contentment. That, that is great gain. Jesus said, that in me you may have peace. So as Jesus is our joy, it stands to reason then that Jesus is our peace. And as he says this in verse 33, remember these things I have spoken to you, and the first thing we come to is that, that you may have peace. Now, how many of you know someone named Aaron? We usually spell it with an A, right? And I always think of this when I read the Greek word for peace is arene, and I think of Aaron. So I always think, well, hey, did you know that if you spell your name like with an E, that it means peace, because if your name is Aaron. But the basic feature of the Greek concept of arene is that the word does not primarily denote a relationship between several people or an attitude, but a state. Like this, time, there was a time of peace. There was a season. A state of peace. And so originally then, conceived of purely as an interlude in the everlasting state of war, I, I know that when we, we read about World War I and the endless barrage of cannon and artillery that, that fired back and forth and back and forth, when that, when that stopped, no one knew what to do. The peace was 
almost as more terrifying to them than anything else. They weren't accustomed to peace. That's how we live. So, so imagine a great war and then silence. Peace. Jesus said, that's what I give to you. Now, I'm going to save the best part for this, but turn with me just to, well, just flip over to John 14, 27. I, I, you cannot read verse 27 without understanding verse 33, and likewise the same. Peace, Jesus says. That's how he starts this out. Peace. I leave with you. That means he put it in your lap and he walked off. (laughs) Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. So, because of that, he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And of course, he said this in the context of the fact that he was going to leave. He's going to go prepare a place. He's going to come back. But he was talking in all of this. Did you know John 14, 15, and 16 was Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure? Now, here's something to think about. When you're close with the Lord and you have moments of heaven on earth, when the visitation is so real and palpable, you don't want it to ever end. You have a fear that that the Lord is going to leave you. The disciples had Jesus physically. And they observed Him. They could go up and they could touch Him. They could be in His shadow, literally. And they imagined the news when He said, I'm going away. What? Because we have, we have to understand something here. We're not talk- They knew He was God with them. So even not, he wasn't even a cool guy to hang with. He was God with us, Emmanuel, you know, we call him that. And they knew this. So when he tells them, I'm going to go away, and also, I have to go by way of the cross. To them, that was... I, I think the only way that I can probably comprehend as a human... As if to say that if, if, if my wife said to me, so, next week, I'm leaving because I'll, I'm, I'm going to die and I'll be gone. What? <laughs> First, no. <laughs> Second, no, no. <laughs> okay, and third, over my dead body. And you're like, but, you know, but they had God with them. But Jesus said, I will send a helper to you. Another like me. And he will abide with you. He'll be your comforter. And he is just like me. And he's going to tell you everything that I have said. Because he's spoken it. And we have then in that love relationship with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, peace and joy. Now, of course, there is the following gladness that comes along with that. But something we've got to go through here in the text is 
after Jesus said that you will have his peace, he goes, but in this world you will have tribulation. Flipsis, remember the word flipsis? This is distress, affliction. We get our word tribulation from it. A tribulation gives you the opportunity to test a truth you have always believed, says Jack Hiles, he's a preacher. Now think about that. What is a tribulation? A tribulation gives you the opportunity to test a truth you have always believed. How's the American church done so far in their test? Not very good. Fail. Failing miserably. We have all faith to move mountains, they say. Yet, I'm afraid of what might happen to me if I don't take care of myself. And we get to diving into things that only God deals with. But I like this. You say, well, I love the Lord and nothing can stop that. Remember about Peter. Okay, because don't you think for a second that the devil can't come along with a nice strategy to test that through tribulation. It's been so bad for so long that if God really loved me, he wouldn't leave me in this misery. And yet, we have Christians around the world that live in miserable conditions. Some, right this very moment, are in situations you and I can't even fathom that have the joy of the Lord as their strength because they have nothing left. And they pity us. That's the irony of it. They pity us. Well, after Jesus says this thing with tribulation, he says, be of good cheer. Now, this is what really shocked me. New King James says, be of good cheer. But literally, these words mean take heart or it means be courageous. Thereso in the Greek, or I'm sorry, tharseo. Take heart, be courageous, cheer up. So let me read it again. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be courageous. And that just defies logic. Be courageous in the tribulation? Yeah, be courageous. Why? (laughs) Or how? Well, you'll see at the bottom bullet there from the verse... If you go back up to the top of verse 33, after he says these things I've spoken to you, what's the very next set of things he says? That in me you may have. See, now that's what sets it all. That in me you may have. And his central theme is on himself for our sake throughout the rest of John 14, 15, and 16. That in me. In my words, in my peace, in my joy. Because these things he has spoken. Do do you think then, in your life, that you believe that? I don't, you know, every one of us are given to certain predispositions. 
We all have proclivities in our character and nature that we act certain ways. Sometimes some of us struggle with depression. Hard. Those that don't, don't understand it. I believe that you can have that and still have the joy of the Lord. No different than having a hurting back and still have the joy of the Lord. Does that mean your face may be like, probably not. But there's a steadiness, steady. There's a strength resolved. There's a power from on high that holds you fast. Because he who promised is faithful, who will perform it. It what? Your sanctification. And he will use like the tools of an artist all of those things to sculpt and mold you into his image. And for all of us, it's different. There was a preacher back in the 40s and 50s and 60s and all the way up until the 90s. Manly Beasley, I've talked about him before, Baptist preacher, was touched very much by the Lord and who suffered greatly from health problems. Many times, many times, uh, Manly would be wheeled up in his wheelchair to the, onto the platform. And he would have enough strength to stand at the, at the pulpit. And he would preach with power and presence. Now there at the, there at the end, he would not get out of the wheelchair, but he would preach with power and he would pe- preach with presence. That man suffered so much with weird health things. Blow your mind. They really never even really knew all that was wrong with him. Lost weight, frail. But here's how he lived. He was so certain of what God wanted to do with him in his life that on one occasion, he went to a city, checked into a hotel, and, and of course he was with some people. And he said, Brother Manley, what are you going to do today? He goes, well, I'm going to go preach here in a minute. Well, where? <laughs> Who? I don't know. But I'm going to stand right here till God gives me that place. And then there they came. And there he went. He was like that. God gives us these people sometimes. Tozer was kind of a man like that. All through the ages, we've had these men and women like that. That just walked with God. Now, does that mean that they're on a special level? No, I think I can answer that here. Um, I'm going to read something to you. First, Stephen Olford in his book, The Way of Holiness, writes, the filling of the Spirit is a continuous discipline. So many people seek for the blessings of the Spirit, but it is not a question of getting more of the Spirit, but allowing the Spirit to get more of us. So it's, it's about yieldedness at that point. It's not some, wow, I got zapped. It's just God doing a great work. 
We all know what Ephesians 5.18 says about be being filled with the Spirit. This is an imperative and a command in Scripture. So it's, it's, a, it's the same thing as a thou shalt not, but in fact it's a, sh- a thou shalt. C.H. Spurgeon said this about this verse, be filled with the Spirit. He said, this is not a promise to claim. This is a command to obey. If sin is disobedience to the revealed Word of God, and I know I ought to be filled with the Spirit, but I'm not, then it is sin. For the Bible says, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. James 4, 7. So it is not only a matter of whether you have embezzled money or are living with someone else's husband or wife. You could be living in sin because you are not filled with, with the Holy Spirit, and Stephen Olford writes, this is a serious matter. Okay? And then, to just finish it off, he writes, the work of God demands that God's people be filled with the Spirit. Now, Jesus is there. He promised in verse 33 that His peace is there, His joy is there, His provision is there, His presence is there. The Holy Spirit of God Almighty, if you're saved, is there. And he writes, When I think of what is being done in the name of Christianity without the control of the Spirit, my heart trembles. Can we argue with that? I don't think we can. Do we realize that we as people in, in American Christianity. We create and do just about anything we can to make up for the differential that the Spirit is not doing. Well, we need to move people. When they come to church, we want them to have a experience. Well, now you've already stepped down below the threshold. And all I can say is, is that walking with God, while may be experiential, transcends that fleshly fix. It takes you to the throne room, deposits you on the the floor before the feet of God, and says, now rejoice. That's what it does. So we create bands with cool guitar solos and smoke so that you'll feel moved and you'll say, wasn't the Spirit just moving? Well, that's because He didn't miss a note. Unplug that thing and tell me if you still feel the same. The preacher invokes you with stories that are so sad and he holds you in his hands. Like a maestro over an orchestra, he elevates you to the, to the tune of a song of story and narrative only to build you up and drop you low. And step back so that you can be lost in the emotional fix of wow. That ain't the Spirit. That's not. That's cheap. That's what that is. showmanship. It's when you can have people who stutter and stammer getting up to preach a message and then God shows up and makes you want to shut up so that you just lift Him up and you're brought low and that nobody wants to move for fear of offending the presence of the Holy One. That is not cheap. 
And so I would say that as Jesus says this in verse 33, be courageous. I'm here inside of you. If you know Jesus, he lives right in there. I don't know personally how people who don't know Jesus try to live the Christian life. But I've met them. Man, they know the talking points really well. They can say things to you and me that know Jesus and think, well, you know. <laughs> but there's no life. After a while, after a while you tire. You tire with, can you imagine how hard it would be to try to convince others that you're a real genuine believer in Jesus when you're not? How hard would that be to keep that up? Oh, you'll be exposed, all right. Because by your fruits, you'll be known. Some try to imagine, do I want to be a Christian? Let me imagine the Christian life. Don't even bother. Because it's of the Spirit. You have to be born again. You don't have the software to process that message. And I would even go so far as to say, you don't even have the hardware. All that's got to be put inside you by the Spirit of God through the gospel that says, unless you repent, you will perish. If you die in your sins, you will be separated from God. All... We was talking K for T this week, and uh, poor Pam. She, Pam wasn't she wasn't feeling well, so I had to. I should say poor kids, because I had to. I had to do the kids, the big kids. It's bad when they get the preacher, and so we 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 brought this up. Is there any place where God isn't? You know, and I I made the point that God's even in hell too. What? Well, it's true. David said, "Can I go to Sheol and you're not there?" Of course, I can't escape from where we are. But here's the problem, and this is the big thing. The only part of God that you have in hell is His perfect wrath. Can you fathom that? How thick is that? Well, it's been bad enough reading about the big bugs that climb out of the bowels of the earth in the Revelation, but separation from... so. The absence of peace, you can't even find it under a rock because it hates you too. There's no joy. There's no, it's just wrath. That's it. That's where your sins will, it separates you from the life of God. So you can't imagine the Christian life because you don't have the heart. So I'm going to ask you today, repent. Turn to Jesus and live. Take him for your life. Give him yours and take his. And Christian, Northridge, let us be a church that hungers for holiness. That hungers for godliness. That hungers for revival. Let's pay the price for that 
And then you watch what God will do through a group of Christians that love Him so much that they're willing to get on their face and cry out for mercy and believe Him for what only He can do. Because we are at that critical hour where only revival can affect this. I'm going to ask JT to come. As he comes, it's, it's kind of the part in the service where you have to do something with what you've heard. Now, I've read to you the Scripture. I've preached to you Jesus. The Holy Spirit has to do all of it. But there's an opportunity for you today to surrender For the lost, it's to surrender your sin and your guilt and confess Christ. Cry out for Him to forgive you and to leave changed, born again, having the Lordship of Jesus. For you, Christian, it's a time to say, man, I have sure allowed the world to creep in. In fact, I reek with the influence of Hollywood, Washington, D.C. My life, I just, I need to get it cast off. Whatever God is calling you to do today, take advantage of this opportunity. Talk to the Lord about it. Tell it to Jesus alone. You come.